You're listening to Cybersecurity Inside, the podcast where you can discover what you need to know about cybersecurity. To learn more, visit us at cybersecurityinside.com. What are the components within that supply chain? And can we verify that those are actually the right components? You can get the benefits of AI without having to share too much of your own personal data. Holy cow, there's so many places this could go wrong now, right? And and how do I secure all of this? Hi, and welcome to the Cybersecurity Inside Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Garrison, and with me is my co-host, Camille Moorhart. How are you doing, Camille? Hi, Tom. I'm having a great day. I am too. And our guest today is a break from maybe some of the other types of guests we've had today. We're going with a guest who is very uh, entrenched into the researcher community and the ethical hacking movement, which I think is fascinating. Yeah, she is fascinating. She started off early on in life as a hacker and So early, she said she didn't even know there was a word for what she liked to do, and it didn't occur to her that there was anything wrong with it at the time. And then she kind of went through this whole life story of realizing that actually there isn't anything wrong with it if you plug in in the correct ways. So she's kind of run with that over the course of her life. Yeah. And I I thought it was also fascinating. One of my big takeaways was this was a person who's obviously very, very intelligent, But she was inspired as a young girl to progress and to, you know, proceed through her cybersecurity sort of journey, but in in very unique ways, in ways that we might not really think about. And I think it might open our eyes to how can we expose more people from various backgrounds to cybersecurity in a way that invites them to continue down that journey. And I thought her particular story was inspiring. And I I think others can learn from her as well. Yeah. Well, she's really interesting and fun and completely full of energy. So it was a great conversation. Yeah. So what do you say we get right to it? Let's do it. Our guest today is Karen Elizari. She is a security researcher, author, and TED speaker, and an industry analyst. She is co-founder of Besides Tel Aviv, Israel's largest hacker community event since 2016 and founder of Leading Cyber Ladies. Welcome to the podcast, Karen. Thank you. It's so fantastic to be on the show. I appreciate the invitation and the chance to share my point of view. So thanks for having me. Yeah, this is going to be fun because um, our listeners don't know this, but obviously we do, that you have a sister that works with us here at Intel, and that's how we actually came in contact with each other. Yes, and I'm so proud of my illustrious sister, Dr. Amita Lazari. She's the first doctor in our family, so we're very proud of her. Not a medical doctor, but rather a jurist doctor, a doctor of law. And I'm very yes. proud of her work with Intel. Yes, now she's an incredible lady. But you are incredible as well, and we want to talk about your background. So you got started very early in sort of the interest in cybersecurity you have a kind of a non-traditional foray into cybersecurity, and I thought it'd be great to start there. Absolutely. So I first became fascinated with technology and computers from a very young age. Probably when I was 10 or 11, I was already using the 
computer in our school's library. We even had a robotics lab, and that was really ahead of its time in the early 90s here in Israel. I was very lucky to have access to that kind of technology, and I was really inspired and curious about this technology. And I spent a lot of time wondering about the many questions that I had. In fact, as a girl, instead of a bedtime story, I would read the encyclopedia. <laughs> True story. That's... How much of a nerd I am. And uh, I had so many burning questions that when we first received access to the internet in Israel, which happened around 1993, it was amazing. It was like the world's largest encyclopedia, a never ending encyclopedia. Now, Wikipedia didn't exist back then, and neither did Google, by the way. So it was really about teaching myself how the World Wide Web worked so that I could find answers to my many, many questions. And sometimes those answers were password protected websites, or they were on all sorts of curious databases. So I had to teach myself how to access all of that information. And to me, it wasn't a criminal act. It was a really passion, curiosity. I never for once realized that what I was doing could be illegal or wrong. And in fact, it wasn't because we didn't have a computer crime law in Israel until 1999. <laughs> But that point aside, I was really discovering and learning everything I could about this digital world, and I was teaching myself how to do it. Until a moment in my life that changed my life forever, in 1995, where I met my first hacker mentor. That's when I knew that all of my activities, my passions, and my curiosity is actually called being a hacker, and that you could be pretty cool and be a hacker. And her name is Angelina Jolie because she portrayed the fierce high school hacker Acid Burn in a Hollywood movie that captured my heart and my imagination and changed my life. In fact, I want to show you something. So I have the soundtrack right here. It's a CD, digital CD format. I don't know if uh, you remember this format. It's how we used to listen to music. <laughs> Do um, I remember a CD? Is that what you said? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, some of the people listening to the podcast or watching us might not know this, but this is how we used to listen to music. And if you just take a look at the cast of characters here, it really caught my imagination because it wasn't just about Angelina Jolie, who was so cool. It was a really diverse cast. It was a group of people that represented hackers, but they looked like all kinds of people. And it really, really captured my imagination that high school kids could become the heroes of their own story through hacking. So that's when I really realized this is what I am. This is what I want to become. This is the world I belong in. It's the world of hackers. I think you might be the first person who claims Angelina Jolie as their cybersecurity uh, mentor. I'm happy to. I think it's a fascinating story. And I think part of what also captured my attention was when you were talking about the diversity of people that were in this group. I haven't watched the movie, by the way. I, I really, I should watch it. Yes. And spoiler alert, Tom, the hackers are not the bad guys. Those high school kids end up saving the day. So just so you know, you're in for a treat. I think it's a classic. Let's carry forward in your story. So you, you got intrigued by this movie. And so then in Israel, some people may not realize this, in Israel, there's compulsory military duty. And so maybe we can pick up the story when you got to your service. Just after finishing high school and before my draft, my mandatory draft, I remember showing up to that first ever hacker convention in Tel Aviv in Israel. And it was about 300 guys and me. 
and the woman who was organizing the conference. And thanks to, to that woman, I felt like, okay, maybe I do belong here, even though I didn't see any other young women or girls around, but I saw so many interesting people and I could just learn from them. And I realized this hacking thing that I'm into, it's not just in the internet, it's not just in Hollywood, there's hackers right here in Israel. And a few weeks after that is when I was drafted to the military. So on draft day, you show up, you get your uniform, you get your shots, you get your picture taken, you, you get very uncomfortable boots. And then you, at least I was, sent into a small room with a stern looking officer who had a pile this big of files and folders on their table with all the information about all the kids who were coming in that day, all the kids who turned 18 and were drafted. And that officer kind of finds my fi my file out of the pile of hundreds and says, oh, okay, Karen, uh, what's your story, Karen Lazari? And in one sentence, I looked at him and I said, I want to be a hacker. This is what I want to do for the army. And this is what I know. I'm curious about hacking. I've spent a couple of years exploring. This is what I would love to do for the military if you gave me a chance. And that was 21 years ago. So I was really lucky, I think, to be there in that point in time turn of the millennia where digital technology was a big part of the military. It wasn't as big as it is today, but cybersecurity was already something that the military was thinking about. And that recruitment officer, whilst not being a technology expert or a cybersecurity expert, they responded to what I had to say. They said, okay, a hacker, I think I know what I'm gonna do with you. And he sent me to the communication security department within the military intelligence branch. So he actually sent me to the relevant unit. And for me, it was an extremely eye-opening experience because for the first time I could use my tricks and my curiosity and my hacker mindset, but I had to learn how to use it within a military methodology. And I had to learn how to use it to protect systems and not just to break things. Because I was pretty much, much better at breaking things and poking holes in systems than I was at building secure systems. And through the military service, I had to practice both of those mindsets, the red team and the blue team, if you will. That's something that we talk a lot about in the security space, red team and blue team. So the military service really forced me to embrace both of these perspectives. And it taught me so much about the different technologies that a huge organization uses to deploy people in the physical realm, but how much the digital realm is what they rely on. And I would also add it was quite equalizing because as a woman, I was serving with other young men and women, and it wasn't about my gender in that particular role. It was just about the talent and the passion that everybody could bring to the job. And oftentimes I would be the only woman in the room or the youngest person in the room or both. And I believe that through my passion for technology, I was able to overcome those odds, as it were, and present a point of view that hacking is valuable and the hacker mindset is valuable. Is there a way to actually teach hacking or is it something that you have to evolve the skill for on your own by discovery? That's a fabulous question, Camille, and one I'm asked often. In fact, one of the most frequent questions on my talks and speaking engagements is, where is the friendly hacker school? Where do I sign up to become a friendly hacker? So I think there is a combination of things. One is certainly there is a mindset, and I was 
either born or it was nurtured in me from an early age to have that very curious mindset, the one that keeps asking questions, the one that is interested in taking things apart to understand how they work, the one that's not afraid to poke a finger in a hole or a vulnerability and see what happens and unravel that thread. That's the hacker mindset. And that's something I kind of always had with me. So I didn't necessarily learn it anywhere. Maybe I somehow received it by um, osmosis from my environment, perhaps. But there are ways to cultivate that mindset, the curiosity, the creativity that comes with the hacker mindset. I think there are ways to artificially cultivate that. Certainly with a younger age group, you could cultivate that with games, with puzzles, with mystery challenges. Uh, even a library could be, you know, an incredible place to explore and identify things. The second part of it is the technical side. And that's certainly something that you can learn and that you must learn. In fact, I have to spend some time each day learning about the latest technologies, the latest threats, the latest techniques that cyber criminals are using. So the learning aspect of the technical element is an ongoing journey. And that's certainly something that you can learn and that there are many uh, types of programs and certificates and diplomas that one could take. But I would start with the curiosity and the hacker mindset, the approach, which is not necessarily tied into the technical realm, but it's something that I think we can cultivate. When you're deciding kind of what sort of hacker to be, and I'm not talking friendly or unfriendly, but just how you're going to go about it, it's a really broad spectrum. Do you focus on the type of system that you're interested in hacking, or are you looking more at like, I'm going to pick software or hardware, or I'm going to pick physical attack or remote attack? How do you kind of classify which direction to go? So I think there's a challenge there, which is you have to know what's possible in order to choose a particular path or a particular specialty, kind of like the field of medicine, which is, of course, vast and different. But in the world of medicine, you could be a general doctor or you could have a specialization. And in order to reach that phase in your career as a doctor where you choose to become an eye doctor or a children's doctor or a surgeon, any other type of doctor, you are exposed to different types of medical practices. And then, you know, something probably calls out to you or you make the choice because you see there's not a lot of people practicing that kind of medicine in your community. So it's required, it's needed, and you choose that. In the security world and the hacker world, I believe in showcasing the different aspects, which is why events like B-Sides, which is part of a global community, are so important because people can be exposed to the different aspects in the hacking world and the cybersecurity world, from hardware hacking to application security, to networks and communications, to cryptography, to cloud. There, there's so many specialties that one could follow. If somebody was asking me, how do I choose a specialty? I would recommend spending some time, even if it's a day or two, immersing yourself in each of these different disciplines and just finding what speaks to you, what grabs your attention. I was always really intrigued by network security and communications. That was kind of like my forte, the area that really captured my imagination. But that's not to say that over a few years, I also developed an interest in cryptography and other aspects of the security world, like vulnerability management. So. It really is up to you or up to the listeners, I imagine, 
to spend some time. I'm a really big believer in experience and learning through experience. So spending some time in each of these areas, whether it's through a conference, a workshop, taking an online course, reading an article, and seeing what speaks to you so that you can choose a path. Yeah, so you, you mentioned that you were one of just a very few females going through this. Did you see a change in terms of young girls or young women that were getting into hacking and cybersecurity in general over your time? Absolutely. You know, I have more than 25 years of a perspective in the cybersecurity world. So the days of that, I was the only girl there. Those days have absolutely changed. Nowadays, I see women all across different positions in cybersecurity, whether it's entry-level positions, students at Tel Aviv University, where I'm a researcher, or at different parts of our community with B-sides, and of course, with the leading cyber ladies community, I see women all across the cybersecurity realm. I am hopeful that the situation we see here in Israel with about 25 or 30% representation of women within the security industry is one that we'll see around the world, hopefully leading up to gender equality and 50% representation, which should be the ideal. But of course, nothing is perfect in life. But I've absolutely seen a change to your question. In 25 years, ladies, gentlemen, I can tell you the picture has changed. It's a very diverse worldview right now. So Karen, you've been spending time, you said, teaching. I'm wondering if you could share with us, like, what, what are you teaching there in Israel and where are your passions on teaching taking you? So for the past few years, I had a research project at Tel Aviv University where I focused on the value of bug bounty programs, otherwise known as vulnerability disclosure programs. These are programs that allow companies as big as Intel and as small as innovative startups to work with individual hackers from all over the world. And I've been really following the bug bounty phenomena closely for the past six years. And through my research grant, I was able to show that these programs provide incredible value, not just in the economical sense of dollar value per vulnerability identified, where still in many cases, these programs tend to offer incredible efficiency if you contrast the amount of vulnerabilities and how critical those vulnerabilities are with the amount of money that companies end up paying to the researchers. But there's also other forms of value, like the reputational value for the company as being known as a company that collaborates with hackers, the reputational value for the hackers who build their name and their brand on bug bounty platform and often become role models and mentors for other hackers and other forms of value as well that ultimately, I believe, raise up the entire level of the security ecosystem. So I do believe that we need all the help we can get at security as a team sport. It's not one that's just up to a government agency or a technology company to solve on their own. And my vision for the security world is one of a digital immune system where hackers play their part by helping us identify vulnerabilities. Now, in the next year, I'm going to start a new course at Reichman University, which is Israel's latest and newest private university. And this is specifically a course that's designed for master's students that are in management and legal professions. And it's all about the changes in the security world that they have to understand in terms of new regulations that are coming in, digital transformation trends and what they mean from the security perspective, learning about how to work with hackers through vulnerability disclosure programs, and how the personal household has also become an arena for cybersecurity decisions. 
You had mentioned that you follow up on trends or you're constantly reading about trends and and new ways that people are hacking. Can you just give us what's one trend that you were surprised that you think is here now and you didn't expect to see it? Sure, absolutely. So ransomware did not surprise me. Ransomware becoming such a valuable criminal tool, in fact, probably the most lucrative form of cybercrime right now, that did not surprise me because I've been tracking ransomware for more than five or six years. What surprised me, though, is that throughout the pandemic and throughout COVID-19, criminal groups were so unscrupulous as to attack hospitals and healthcare providers specifically. And that's something we saw just this week in Israel, we experienced an attack on a hospital. So that's something that surprised me. And I shouldn't be surprised by cyber criminals because they go after where the money is and they really don't have a a moral code or any ethics to speak of. But the fact that throughout the pandemic that impacted everybody around the world, they would still go after healthcare providers and hospitals That to me was really jarring. Now, to build on top of that, we have to look at what criminals are doing because they have really used the past 18 months as an opportunity to reinvent themselves. So they've come up with new business models. There's ransomware as a service now where some ransomware operators partner with distributors and affiliates that make sure that the ransomware gets delivered. But there's just a vast ecosystem of players within that. There's uh, the ransomware and extortion model. There's faster ransomware. So they invest so much time and efforts in the development of the technical payload itself so that they can spread faster and encrypt faster. So it's changing every week. And I've been following these trends closely. Do you have a sense that this is a winnable battle? Or the more you get into it, do you get more and more discouraged? Wow. So thank you for the question, because I was starting to feel depressed by my own messages. <laughs> so that's the that's the challenge, I think, with cybersecurity. We have to really keep our optimism. Yes, there are elements of this battle that are winnable. However, I've said this before, and it's been said by others, cybersecurity and achieving security, it's not a destination. It's not a train that you get on and at the end, I'm secure, I'm done, right? It's a journey that's continuous and we're gonna be on it. It's never gonna stop. It's always gonna be a cat and mouse. It's always gonna be a new vulnerability, a new technical capability, a new criminal business model. So is it winnable? I think that there are ways to make security a sustainable state. There are ways to make a company more secure. There are ways to make our daily lives more secure in a way that's sustainable. It doesn't require you to live in a bunker with offline communications and only communicating via Morse code with a bunch of sheep in the backyard or something like that. Yes, I think that there is a sustainable way to achieve a secure state. So in that sense, it is winnable. I'm not depressed by the amount of criminals out there because there's also a million friendly hackers out there. I'm not exaggerating. There's literally a million according to the bug bounty platforms. So there are so many friendly hackers out there. There are so many great companies developing new technologies, new products and new paradigms. So through this pandemic period, we have experienced digital transformation like no other. There's a silver lining and that is there's a possibility that many people's security posture actually improved. So that that sounds counterintuitive, I know. But I think coming out of this pandemic, we are going to see different approaches to online authentication, different approaches to a network perimeter, different approaches to managing healthcare data. 
So we're going to have a lot of lessons to learn from the pandemic, but the overall trend, I believe, is a positive one. Maybe one last area here before we wrap up, and that is, I know that you do work with the female hacker community, and I, I think it'd be great to share some of the work that you're doing specifically there, you know, for people that are maybe interested in becoming hackers, or they have kids that might want to be hackers. How do they get involved? So firstly, I'm very proud of the leading cyber ladies network that we've started. It started here in Israel, but it's now global. And we've got chapters in Europe, in North America and Canada and the United States. And as of November 21 in Japan, in the Pacific region, and we're always starting new chapters and new activities. So if you're interested in joining a leading cyber ladies networking event or meetup, you can check us out online, leadingcyberladies.com. And we're also on all of the social media platforms. Now, I want to recommend that if some, somebody who's listening today, whether they're a, a young woman or a person of any age and any gender, really, if you're curious about cybersecurity and you're not sure where to start, I really recommend reaching out to your local community meetup or event, whether it's virtually or in person. I was really inspired by the Security B-Sides movement, which is a network of events for the security community. I started the one in Israel, in Tel Aviv, but there are B-Sides events all around the globe, also available virtually, and they're a great way to make your first step. And even if you have a younger person, a child, uh, some B-Sides events could be great for bringing your children along with you. Of course, check with them specifically. I recommend you look into securitybsides.org. In fact, I'm wearing the shirt from B-Sides Tel Aviv 2019, and Intel has been a proud sponsor of B-Sides Tel Aviv since our very first year. So thank you for that. That's great. And for the people who don't have a screen in front of them, it's B as in the letter B and then sides. Okay, very good. Well, I'd like to close by our fun little segment that we do on every podcast called Fun Facts. And uh, I know we kind of sprung this on you, but uh, I'm hoping that you have a fun little fact that you would like to share with our listeners. Sure. So my fun fact is about digital currencies and more specifically cryptocurrencies, which some of you know made the scene in 2009 when Bitcoin was invented or the first Bitcoin white paper was published by Satoshi Nakamoto. However, the science fiction author Neil Stevenson imagined cryptocurrencies about 10 or 15 years before Bitcoin was a reality. So he wrote a story for Time magazine in 1995 called The Great Simoleon Caper, which described the world with a digital currency and with some criminals stealing cryptocurrency. And then later on in The Cryptonomicon, a book he wrote in 1999, he described a cryptocurrency in more detail. So that's my fun fact. Very good. Interesting. Camille, how about you? Elephants and whales both communicate on a very low frequency spectrum, some of it so low that humans can't actually hear it with our own ears. Part of that is so that they can communicate over you know, multiple kilometers at a shot. But one thing that I think is very interesting and I can't confirm is some researchers are looking into whether elephants and whales actually communicate with one another. Wow. That would be awesome. My mind is blown. That's fantastic. <laughs> wow. Okay. So I'm going to go into the world of gross for a moment. It turns out 
that a human adult can produce enough saliva to fill a bathtub, not once, but twice in a year. Impressive. Two bathtubs full of spit. Can you believe that? Boy, where have we gone? (laughs) Well, hey, on that uh, low note there, um, (laughs) I I did want to say it's been great having you on the show. And specifically, I think just what you represent in terms of your energy around cybersecurity, around the idea of being friendly hackers, the role that you play helping be a leader amongst the female community as well within that group. I think it's great. And I really appreciate you coming on our podcast and sharing your story. Thank you. And thanks to my sister who convinced me to join the podcast. (laughs) Stay tuned for the next episode of Cybersecurity Inside. Follow at Tom M. Garrison and Camille at Moorhart on Twitter to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening. The views and opinions expressed are those of the guests and author and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Intel Corporation.